Hi. I'm Charlotte, and I'm a member of Al-Anon. Boy, that was great. Carrie gave me such a beautiful introduction, I wondered who she was talking about. <laughs> you must have the wrong person. No, I meant you. Anyway, I would like to thank Carrie for asking me to speak, and I would like to thank the committee for making me feel like a queen. And I almost didn't make it here tonight. Um, the, the speaker in our family is speaking in the banquet room. <laughs> But anyway, tonight after dinner, after I ate too much, I went back to the room where he had the news on about the air crash. I am going to take, I want to talk about him a minute. I want to take his inventory. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, every time I ride over 20 miles with him in a car... I always say to myself, not to him, mind you, because Al-Anon teaches us we don't criticize other people, but I always say to myself, I will never do it again. (laughs) Well, I'm improving, though, because today I did say to him, why don't you drive your car and I'll drive mine? (laughs) Well, he nixed that idea. Then I said to him, well, maybe I could drive this time. Well, that wasn't the right thing to say either. (laughs) And anyway, all the way over, we listened to the war news. Oh, I mean, it's not bad enough to be in the car with them. So then I got here, and I had to put myself together, and I, I had a very lovely dinner. It was wonderful. And then afterwards, we went back to the room, And he got ready to go because he had to leave earlier than I did. And I said, oh, I'm so tired. I think I'll take a nap. He says, why don't you, honey? I'll set the alarm for you. Well, I want you to know, if an attack of panic hadn't set in, I wouldn't be here because that alarm never went off. I think he was just jealous. He thought I'd get more people than him. Now, remember, everything we hear here is kept confidential. And I hope you've got the tape turned off. Oh, dear. Well, I'm supposed to tell you what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. You can see I haven't changed too much. Anyway, I'm wondering what that is in me that keeps saying, I'll never ride in the car with him again. And then yet I get back in the car with him. We'll, we'll think about that. Anyway, I'm going to start way back at the beginning. I've got a lot of time. Oh, I can start back the year I was born. I'm 29, too. <laughs> the reason I'm 29 is because I go by the year I was born now, instead of telling people when it really happened. But anyway, I came in with the crash. And, you know, I think everybody's birth is a miracle, but I, and I've never told anybody about my birth. I've never had a whole hour before. <laughs> but I think mine was a double miracle because I came into this world weighing three pounds, and I came into this world in an outhouse. And you can guess what I fell into. <laughs> and that is the honest to God's truth. I mean, in my... Uh, Around my home, it's still, the old people still talk about it. 
and I was never in a hospital or an incubator. So I kind of feel God wants me here. <laughs> but, you know, I spent all these years wondering why, what for. The first, uh, the first early years of my life were very... Um, I lived way out in the country where nothing could happen. And um, my parents did not drink. I mean, I had, we had no alcohol around at all. So I can't say that I was exposed to alcohol early. I can't really blame my parents for any of the mess that I have had in my life. My parents were very good parents, very loving. They had to work very hard. They were farmers. So they didn't just hold me on their lap and say, gee, we love you, Charlotte. But I always felt loved. But I had these aunts that came out from Chicago every year. And I knew very early that I wanted to be in the city. I knew that's where, you know, that's where happiness was, and that's where real life was, and that's where all the fun was. So very early in my life, I formed that idea of what I wanted to do. And I also was very materialistic. We didn't have anything. We didn't even have a pot to put under our bed, not even when it was snowy in Wisconsin. But um, I thought you were supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> in other words, we had to go out in the snow. Oh, it was very sad. Um, <laughs> but I knew that if I ever got to a place where we had matched chairs around the table, that that would be really living. And I had to go away from home very early. Um, well, I just want to tell you, too, about my relationship with my brothers. I had two older brothers, and they were they're great men today, and they were great brothers back then. And I was a horrible little sister. They had to do my every um, bidding, because if they didn't, I would tell stories to my dad about them, and then they'd get a spanking. And even in spite of that, you know, they loved me tremendously. They always did my will. It was so wonderful. <laughs> and they never had a chance to go to high school or anything because um, in order for us to go to high school, we had to stay in the city. And, of course, they were high school age right at the beginning of the Depression, so they, um, my parents couldn't afford to send them to school. But my parents always stressed education get an education get an education that's one thing I remember they stressed and the other thing was to be honest and also they they um, instilled in me a belief in God and growing up was not that difficult really in fact I had to go away from home when I was 13 and live in a room in the city without any supervision and I was a pretty good kid I didn't run the streets I didn't, uh, in those days, we always looked down upon the girls in uh, school who smoked and drank and went out with wild boys and things like that. So I was very good all through high school. But then I got to be 17. And I don't know about the rest of you. When I got to be 17, I became all wise. I knew everything there was to know in the world. And I had two goals. One was to become a nurse and the other was to marry a city fellow. <laughs> and so off I went to college. And you know, I missed a bus one day. <laughs> I bet you can't guess what happened. Who I happened to meet. <laughs> Afterwards, you know, after we got married and the trouble started, 
I used to always think that maybe God was punishing me for missing that bus. <laughs> but anyway, I met this adorable, charming man. And I don't care what you say. Alcoholics are charming people. They're charming. They're exciting. You know, and I think back on what it used to be like, I mean, in our early years. Gosh, it was exciting. My husband was fun, fun, fun. Yeah, he really was. Well, when did that end? <laughs> anyway, we went together two years. I like to tell this story. We went together two years, and he never even took me to a place where drinks were served. Now, when they tried to, when I heard that he was an alcoholic, well, no, before I heard that he was an alcoholic, but after I realized that he might be drinking too much, you know, I felt real sorry for myself because I thought he really took advantage of me. I was a poor little victim of circumstance. And all the self-pity that you can just fill up with when you think of how you were taken advantage of. But, you know, to look at it honestly... I have to think that maybe I wasn't too bright because I would have, if I'd have been brighter, I'd have thought that was kind of funny that he never even took me to a place where drinks were served because back in those days, we used to have our little beer parties, you know, and other boys would take me to little beer parties, but my precious, charming Clancy never took me to any of those places. <laughs> I must talk to him about that. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, would you jot, take notes for me? <laughs> and I'll tell you another thing. A nurse and an alcoholic are a deadly combination. <laughs> because the nurse loves to take care of people. And the alcoholic loves to be taken care of. Anyway, we got married after two years of going together. And I really, I really was, I thought it was the most wonderful um, match. <laughs> I'm not laughing at it, but I really was very happy. And the first time I ever saw Clancy take a drink was on her wedding night. Well, I thought that was perfectly normal. Everybody drinks on their wedding night. And then he played with a dance band, and that is a wonderful job for somebody who likes to drink. But I'd also like to say in his behalf that he never, ever took more than two drinks. I know this because he told me. And I believed him. I believed everything he told me. Everything. Now, this guy was my God. I mean, I had no other God because, you know, the God that my parents taught me about, that I realized that was only for people who were weak. And people who were strong didn't need that kind of a God. They didn't need to listen to all those fairy tales. And I had this wonderful God that I lived with and that I took care of. And so we had a little girl, and then we had 13 months later, we had a little boy. And then I knew I had died and gone to heaven because I had everything in the world anybody would want. A beautiful husband and a little boy and a little girl. And then at three weeks of age, our little boy died in his crib. And it was at that time in my life that I hit my first bottom. But because I knew nothing about bottoms or anything, I didn't know what I was hitting. 
But to me, it's a, it's a feeling of absolute hopelessness. Yeah. I had no idea what to do. Um, the only peace I got was to walk outside in the snow in the wintertime and listen to the snow creak under my... Six weeks, I didn't eat or I didn't sleep. And I would hear my baby crying, and I'd learn if he wasn't there. And I guess that's basket cases you can become. And then one day I said, Oh, God, please, our relationship has taken care of me, even when I didn't know enough to take care of myself. Thank my little son. Did about seven years of alcoholism through. And in the place of the little boy, gave me three girls. Plus the one I had, which made four. But, um, yeah, I couldn't see what the future was going to hold. But then we started, um, he did all these crazy things. <clears throat> I mean, one of his favorite things was to, you know, take the razor blade and whittle away at his wrist. Well, of course, I didn't know he wasn't serious, and I'd go crazy running around like a chicken with its head cut off trying to help him. And the money that we spent on doctors, we could be living in Beverly Hills. Um, even back in those days, psychiatrists were very expensive. And I want to tell you, I always tell about this doctor in my talks. I guess I still probably have a resentment towards him <laughs> after 30 years. <clears throat> but um, see nobody told me that al uh, doctors really don't know how to treat alcoholics and I really didn't think I was married to an alcoholic it was much easier for me to accept the fact that Clancy was mentally ill than it was that he was an alcoholic because an alcoholic is spineless you know they have no backbone they have no willpower and I would have to think I was awfully crazy to have married an alcoholic I didn't want anybody else to think I was crazy enough to marry an alcoholic. But somehow, the fact that I had married someone mentally ill, it seemed a lot <laughs> nicer to me. <laughs> anyway, this doctor, he told clients he wanted to see me. <clears throat> so I went to see him. <clears throat> and he asked me a question. I answered it to the best of my ability. And he said, is it fate or is it destiny? Now, we went on for one hour like this with him asking me questions and with me answering as well as I could and him saying, is it fate or is it destiny? Well, I want you to know that all these years later, I'm trying to figure out, is it fate or is it destiny? <laughs> anyway, uh, you've heard the rest of the story. Um, when they um, go down to the corner to get a pack of cigarettes and come home three days later. I'm sure you've all had experiences with that. <laughs> when they call and say, have you got dinner on the table? I'll be right home. <laughs> a week later, and they come <laughs> angry because you didn't keep the dinner warm. <laughs> and you know, the funniest part about an alcoholic, I think it's funny today. I didn't think it was funny back then. But no matter what happens, they have a way of switching what was said around or what happened around until you know it was all your fault. <laughs> yes, I'll get to that, Carrie, when I get to the program. <laughs> so you live with this constant guilt and fear 
what can I do? To, Buddy, you got some terrible defects. <laughs> and when I took that fifth step, which was, I thought I couldn't do it, but I did it. Because I have learned in this program that if you do it, good things will happen. And it was when I did that that a lot of my fear left, uh, my guilt, my resentments toward Clancy left, my self-pity. I mean, I didn't even know what self-pity was before that. I sure had a lot of it, but I didn't know what it was. It was making me feel so bad. My feelings of inadequacy, all that stuff was lifted. And I had to go to work after my, I took my fifth step. And I was driving through that underpass out there by the L.A. airport. And I thought, you know, I don't even need this car. I could just fly. That's how good I felt after I took my inventory. Well, anyway, I have to keep up for a whole hour, huh? <laughs> and I know when I made my amends, um, I was amazed at the things that I had remembered hurting people. My sister-in-law in particular, I was so nasty to her. I mean, I used to, she married my brother when I was about 13. And I used to have fights with her. You know, on the floor, beating her with my fists. She doesn't remember, she didn't remember any of that. I mean, she was amazed that here I was apologizing for these things. She didn't even remember them. So many people, my children, I, uh, when I apologized to them, made amends to them, they didn't, they said, Mother, you've always been a wonderful mother. Here I had to go and spoil that, you know. <laughs> Clancy has always been, well, he hasn't always been. Well, yes, he has always been. <laughs> quite active in AA. Not as active as he is today, but he's been quite active. Now, in the beginning, too, one of the things that, that it was very hard for me to let him go to these meetings alone. I went to a lot of meetings with him. Had to keep my eye on him. <laughs> then when I finally did let him wander out by himself, I thought, I really thought when, he, when I heard the car drive up, I'd be in bed. And I, when he walked into the bedroom, I'd take this big, deep breath, thoroughly expecting to smell alcohol and always being surprised when I didn't. Gee, they're walking out so fast. Well, anyway. <laughs> that was, it, was, it was hard for me to have faith that he was really staying sober. And yet, at that time, I still didn't admit that he was an alcoholic. I'd say to people, oh, my husband's an AA. He's an alcoholic. Well, he said I could break his anonymity. I always break it. <laughs> and, and I would say it with my lips, but I couldn't believe it inside of me. In fact, I was on the program about five years before I could really say and believe my husband is an alcoholic and really believe alcoholism is a disease. I thought that was another thing they made up. <laughs> so anyway, um, oh, and then it used to, in fact, Clancy and I were talking about it just last night, um, how exciting things used to be. Because people would call me up, 
or they were even going to kill me sometimes. Um, and women would call me up and tell me how much in love with Clancy they were, and they don't do that anymore. I mean, life is getting dull. <laughs> and I said, my goodness, Clancy, what has happened? Because every once in a while, you know, somebody would be, oh, we'd get up in, in the windows and be shot out in the car, and here we live in Venice, and those interesting things don't even happen. I don't know. Clancy says there's a different type of alcoholic out there. I think maybe it's because he's getting older and women <laughs> women don't find him so attractive. <clears throat> but, you know, and that was something that was hard to get accustomed to, is to know that these women are going to kill you <laughs> so they can get your husband. Or just that they just call up to tell me they're in love with them. <laughs> One woman in particular, I remember, she used to come over and I was working then. She'd come over and cook dinner every night. And um, it was wonderful. I'd come home and she'd have this seven-course meal all ready to sit on the table. And, and I hate cooking, so I thought it was just wonderful. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't until later that she told me, we became good friends, and she told me the reason she was doing it was because she was trying to get my husband. <laughs> and she really thought that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. What she really didn't know was that Clancy... He doesn't like food, particularly. <laughs> but I sure enjoyed it. <laughs> but anyway, to get back to the women, <coughs> I always find this an interesting subject. There are a lot of good-looking young girls in Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> but as I was spent time on the program... And as my self-worth grew, because when I came here, I had absolutely no self-worth, but as it grew, I found I didn't have to be jealous of anybody. And I can honestly say this, and I say it with humility. It might sound arrogant and smug and self-righteous. No, that's the way it used to be. Um, But I can honestly say today that if Clancy were to divorce me, he would be the loser. Oh, Don't ever let him get a hold of this <laughs> Well, the years went along. And uh I've all, I have to change my talk now. Oh, say, I want to tell you that Monday night was the first night I talked in over two years. And I thought maybe I had brain damage because they did an operation on me where they stopped my heart and put me on a heart-lung machine. And you never know what those doctors are going to do when you're asleep. And, and as you have guessed by this time, I don't like doctors too well. Oh, please, I hope there are none in this room. I always, I always say that, and then I always wonder, did I say the wrong thing? Keep coming back. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Monday night I talked for the first time, and, and I really was surprised. But I do have to change my story because I always used to tell about our children and how great they were, and they were, and they are. I won't take anything away from them. I do want to tell you just one thing about when our first child left home to tell you how far on the program I was then. Uh, 
But when she got married, every night I, after dark, I would drive by her house <laughs> to be sure her husband was home taking care of her. <laughs> and thank God he was, because I don't know what I'd have done if, <laughs> if he hadn't been. <clears throat> but anyway, I always used to tell in my stories that um, we never had any problems with drugs or alcohol in our children. And we didn't. And I think God knows that he had to kind of not have that happen because I would be would have been too fragile to have stood it. But um, a year ago last May, our oldest daughter joined the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I didn't even know she had a drinking problem. Of course, he's been out of the home now for about 20 years. <laughs> then, in June... Our youngest daughter joined the program. And now I guess she was just giving her husband a hellish time. Bad time. I mean, you wake up in the morning, find her laid out on the uh, kitchen floor, passed out. Find her passed out, not knowing where their three little kids were. Now, you can bet if I would have known about that, I'd have been a nervous wreck. I am very grateful to this man that he didn't tell me. Or he didn't tell Clancy, best kept secret in town. Uh, but I am so grateful. Then, in July, daughter number, what number is she? <laughs> daughter number three joined the program. Now, the girls knew about one another, all except they didn't know about daughter number three, because she was the biggest sneak in the bunch. And, and it's really something. Her husband's mother died of alcoholism. And yet, of our sons-in-law, he was the one that was in the greatest state of denial. You'd have thought he would have been so glad to see his wife get the program since his mother had died of the disease. But he really, really denied it. But he's been in Alana now for some time and he's doing very well. So anyway, three of them in three months. Zoom, zoom, zoom. So they said to me, Mother, are you mad at us? I said, mad at you? I'm so grateful that you got to the program without my having to get any more gray hairs. <laughs> so that is one of the one benefits of the program. Now I've got two more children. I'm not going to make any kind of... I'm not going to make any predictions. I'm not going to. They are to this day. I don't think they're alcoholics, but one never knows. I mean, <laughs> maybe it'll be a hundred percent. Now, I have had to make a lot of changes since kids left home. Um, somehow, I don't know if any other women feel the way I feel, but or felt. But when my kids all left the nest, I kind of felt like there wasn't really any purpose in life for me anymore. I mean, what do you do? They're so used to going to PTA meetings and working in the library and, you know, working in the kids' classrooms, and all of a sudden, nobody's calling you. You call up the school and say, I'd like to be a volunteer. They never call you back. <laughs> they don't want you anymore. I mean, once you were a very popular mother in their ranks, and now then all of a sudden nobody wants you or needs you. I found that very difficult. And so what I did is I thought, well, what else will I do? And I thought, I've given enough time to kids. Forget about kids. So I thought, well, I'll start a place for abused animals. 
well, how do you do that when you don't have any money? So then I said, well, what I need is some land. Where do you find out about land? In the real estate office. Best deals never get out of the real estate office. So I went to school and got my real estate license. Anyway, I'm working on it. I still don't have any land or money. (laughs) But what I am telling you is that as a result of this program, I have found that I can do anything I choose to do. And the reason I'm not doing things is because I don't want to do them, you know. But I can't, and that, that's called, I guess, self-confidence or something. But that, the program has given me that. And I want you to know, <clears throat> is there anything else I want anybody to know? <laughs> Boy, an hour is a long time, any way you look at it. <clears throat> I don't want to stop now. I'm... <laughs> I want to go back now to the farm. (laughs) No, I really don't have anything else to say. I'm about out of it. I do want to talk just a tat about my higher power. Because when I first had found a real higher power, whom I choose to call God, I used to direct him. I used to say, please do this, please do that, please do this. And I'll tell you, he was very, he's been very good to me. I wanted to be a city lady. He's given me a city, you know. Now I'd love to be back on the farm. Uh, But he has given me practically everything I've asked for. But my relationship with him now has changed. And after I got over giving him direction, um, then I started, in the beginning, I'd try to turn things over to him, and I'd turn them over, and then I'd go about my business trying to solve things, you know. And here I'd be going in this little rat race, going in circles. And then one day it occurred to me, you dummy, why do you turn things over to this being that you call God, and then you spend all your time trying to solve it yourself? And you know, I've been on the program, I'm not even going to tell you how many years, but since 1963. (laughs) And it has only been recently that I am able to accomplish what I call a complete surrender to my higher power. Isn't that awful? After all these, that's how long I have played around with this program. And I could not accomplish that until he knocked me right down. And I hope other people can accomplish it before they get to that point. I've always done things the hard way. But what I do now is I get up in the morning and I make a conscious effort and words and turn my life and my will over to the care of God as I understand him. And the rest of the day, I go about doing what I think is his business and asking him what he wants me to do and doing what's in front of me and enjoying the moment. And you know, it works. It really works. So I just wanted to tell you that. And I'd also, now we're supposed to be caring and sharing, we're sharing and caring. And I want you to know that the reason I'm up here is not because it's my choice. I came into this program absolutely so scared, more scared than a fawn in a forest fire. But as a result of this program, I can get up here now and not be afraid So if any of you are out there saying, oh, I'm so afraid I can never do it, 
or if you're saying, well, I don't have anything to tell, we all have a story. We could all write a book. And I want you to know that I'm up here sharing because I care. I love all of you very much. Thank you.